Welcome to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. They get the credit, we ask the questions. This is Credit Hour. Hi, my name is Michael Ewald, host of Credit Hour. Today, we interview the chair of the Department of Political Science, David Ernest, about the United States trade relationship with China. David holds a master's and doctorate degree from George Washington University and has written extensively on topics related to globalization. His most recent book is titled Massively Parallel Globalization, Explorations in Self-Organization and World Politics. From tariffs to trade wars, we hope you enjoy the conversation as David gives us an overview on the international economy. David, thanks for speaking with us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, David, before we get into a discussion about some of the recent news regarding trade um, and specifically our relationship with China, um, I wanted to take a moment. This is your first year here at USD. How have you enjoyed Vermilion? How have you enjoyed uh, the department? Oh, it's been wonderful. I have a great set of colleagues in the Department of Political Science, a number of uh, world-renowned experts in their fields. Uh, they're wonderful people, excellent teachers, and uh, Vermilion has been a very welcoming community. Thank you. You know, one of your expertise is the international economy. Yeah. And obviously in the news, um, there's kind of a, this tit-for-tat exchange with the Trump administration and China regarding our trade relationship. I'm wondering if you can just tell us a little bit about the current situation. Obviously it changes, you know, day-to-day um, depending on the negotiations, but maybe what, you know, led us to this point. Yes, certainly. So I think there's been a long-standing perception in the United States that China's uh, trade practices with the United States have been unfair. They have been in violation of international agreements and international law, and the Trump administration's proposed tariffs are viewed as a remedy uh, to encourage China to practice fair trade or to at least practice trade in a way that is consistent with international law. Now, you know, one of the um, specific policies that the Trump administration has proposed is obviously tariffs on goods like aluminum, steel. Uh, China has responded with a proposed set of tariffs on, you know, industries that are really important to South Dakota, things like agriculture, soybeans, pork. Um, How does this, you know, potentially affect South Dakota um, if we continue to go down this path? Yeah, so it'll have both direct and indirect effects. The direct effects, as you noted are on industries that are important to South Dakota's economy. Uh, Exports constitute about 15% of South Dakota's economy, and as you noted, agricultural products are an important part of those exports, and in fact, of the top 10 items that South Dakota exports, seven of them are agricultural products. So China's proposal to place tariffs on exports of things like uh, soy and uh, pork and and other agricultural products uh, will directly affect South South Dakota's uh, farm economy, its agricultural economy. The indirect effects will be felt in terms of the prices that consumers in South Dakota and elsewhere pay. When tariffs are placed on exports, prices rise, and that means consumers pay more. So we'll also feel it in terms of our daily expenses uh, at the grocery store and elsewhere. Now, this is kind of a two-part question. You know, President Trump has argued that the trade deficit between the United States and really intellectual property theft um, has been, you know, part of the reason why the United States has had to take these actions. I'm hoping that you can kind of explain, you know, the trade uh, deficit relationship that we have with China and then, you know, intellectual property loss and its impact on the U.S. economy. Yeah, so a trade deficit is simply a situation in which uh, one country is uh, importing more than it is exporting. So when the United States imports imports more from China than we sell to China, uh, we end up sending a lot of money to China and getting less in return. So the net balance is a negative one. 
And uh, intellectual property uh, theft is an interesting sort of dimension of that relationship. So intellectual property are legal protections on creative products. So it can be anything from a trademark on a brand to a patent on a drug. And the accusation that the Trump administration has leveled is that China has violated uh, intellectual property protections for American creations, such as pharmaceutical products, uh, even things as simple as counterfeiting uh, American fashion brands. And so those are some of the unfair trading practices that the Trump administration alleges contributes to the trade deficit. You know, of course, you know, some domestic industries in the United States um, levy their technological advantage to gain access um, to markets in China. When we talk about intellectual property theft, I mean, you know, there's the guy selling stolen CDs, you know, maybe on the street corner. But when we really talk, um, you know, at a corporate level, what are the dangers that China represents kind of with maybe corporate espionage or, or, or you know, something at that level? So um, cor corporate espionage is an interesting example because I think there's a Hollywood view of intellectual property theft which is essentially we have spies that steal trade secrets from corporations, but in fact, oftentimes it's a much more uh, mundane example of intellectual property theft. So one of the requirements that China often has of American producers is if you wish to sell to Chinese consumers, we'd like you to manufacture your products in China. So American firms set up factories in China and theft occurs in the form of that factory during the day may make licensed products, but then the Chinese authorities will run the factory at night making counterfeit products. So um, they're using the same infrastructure, the same factory, uh, and yet they're producing the good without the permission of the American firm. So that's the kind of intellectual property theft that I think is widespread and causes um, harm in a way that the peddler of a counterfeit good on a street corner cannot do. You know, another dimension um, of our relationship with China, especially as it relates to the global economy, is currency manipulation. That's something that we heard um, you know, President Trump repeat on the campaign. And I think there's probably, you know, part of this plays into that as well. I don't know if you can just explain currency manipulation to us and how China leverages that, both in terms of trade and, trade and then to, you know, put forth their power on the global stage. Yeah, so uh, anytime I travel abroad or anytime anyone travels abroad, I have to buy currency. I if, if, if I'm going to Mexico, I have to buy pesos. And uh, I pay a price for that. And uh, the question is, how do we determine the price at which we trade currencies? And there are really two ways. One is there's a free market for currencies that is determined by the laws of supply and demand. The other way that currency exchange is typically uh, determined is that a government will determine and set the price for its currency. The accusation that the Trump administration has made is that China has set a price for the yuan, its currency, that is artificially low. And what that means is when that currency is low, that increases the purchasing power of American consumers. And when we can buy Amer Chinese goods cheaply, the trade deficit balloons. So the accusation is by setting the price too low, China is exacerbating or making worse the trade deficit. You know, we talked a little bit before about the potential impact um, some of these tariffs may have on a, a state like South Dakota. You know, everybody repeats the phrase trade war. Um, 
I don't know if you can just describe you know, what a trade war is and maybe talk about its likelihood. Yeah, so uh, I think you highlighted it well in your, in your introductory remarks. A trade war is really just a pattern of tit-for-tat retaliation with trade tariffs, with, uh, with trade restrictions. And the, the, the concern there is just like in any trade war, once the first shots are fired, suddenly uh, everybody's firing shots. So once the first tariffs are levied, uh, we don't know where it will end. And what started off as uh, uh, taxes on a very narrow set of products quickly becomes a widespread uh, set of restrictions on trade that ultimately makes everybody worse off. And while this is starting as a bilateral US-China uh, dispute, just like in a shooting war, sometimes those disputes spread beyond the original combatants. And the concern would be what starts off as a U.S.-Chinese uh, trade dispute quickly involves the European Union and Canada and Mexico and other large economies in such a way that now lots and lots of products are becoming expensive and economies are going into recession. That's the concern. You know, it's been a while since my days um, studying political science here at USD. I'm a, I'm a graduate from the political science department. Yeah. You know, one of the things I remember learning, though, was that free trade, access to markets, really became, you know, the linchpin guiding principle of U.S. economic and foreign policy, you know, after World War II. A situation like this, what does it tell us um, about, I guess, the United States' role in the global economy and maybe its position? You, you, I think you've identified an interesting fact, which was these ideas really emerged right at the end of World War II. And in many respects, the rules that govern the global economy today reflect a world of the 1950s rather than the 2010s. And coming out of World War II, there was really only one economy in the entire world that was better off in 1945 than it was in 1939, and that was the United States. The economic advantages of the United States allowed it to create a set of trade rules that were very advantageous in the 40s and 50s. But as the economy has grown, or as the global economy has changed, and as economic powers like China and Brazil and Russia and the European Union have emerged, uh, what was originally an American advantage has become less so. And so I think what we're seeing today is a recognition in the United States, or at least a belief among some in the United States, that the trade rules that were created more recently in the 80s and 90s are no longer fair or advantageous to the United States, and that's why there's this interest in changing them. Well, and I think it's really interesting, too, because you talk about you know, China's engagement with the global marketplace, and that really was a victory for the United States, sort of bringing them into, you know, I think, a, a global marketplace. At the same time, you know, with the way this tariff situation has played out, you know, one of their um, I guess tools at their disposal has been lobbying complaints at the World Trade Organization, which is in and of itself a Western institution, right? And so they're kind of using, you know, something that we created, you know, decades ago um, to try to force our hand in, in terms of trade. I guess my next question is, where do we go from here? I mean, you know, you talked about the dangers. Um, the Trump administration obviously must have a strategy, and this has been something that's been building for years and years and years. If, if you can be optimistic, where do you see, I guess, this playing out? Or how do you see this playing out? Yeah, so I think the best case scenario is a scenario that's put, been put forth by some Trump 
uh, ad administrators, which is that the mere threat of tariffs will lead the Chinese to constructive negotiations and we can come to some agreements uh, without ever having to start this trade war. Uh, I think the most concerning scenario, the analogy would be, you mentioned uh, uh, World War II a moment ago, the analogy would be what happened in 1939, which was as the war started, we suddenly realized this international organization, the League of Nations, was toothless. It had no effect. Uh, the concern would be a trade war between China and the United States would demonstrate that the World Trade Organization is really a toothless organization. At the end of the day, the WTO works only because the member states agree to the rules and they behave well. Uh, when there starts to become shirking of the rules or violations of the rules, then uh, the institution can quickly collapse. And, and the worst case scenario would then be we no longer have a set of rules that we agree on for the management of the global economy. I think that's interesting. I mean, one thing that you know, was consistently talked about in the last election cycle was kind of the increasing nature of protectionism in domestic politics, but you also see that in Europe. Um, you know, to kind of use this World War One, World War Two example, you know, how does trade play into kind of domestic politics in, in Western countries, and what's the danger in that? Yeah, so uh, how does trade play into domestic politics, but the interesting question is also how does domestic politics play into trade? So there's an interesting sort of interactive relationship between both of those. My sense is that the growing resistance to free trade, whether in the United States or in Europe and elsewhere in the world, uh, really is a manifestation of growing economic inequality within societies. Um, that there are large portions in both Europe and the United States, large portions of the population that feels economically secure. These are individuals who worry about their jobs and their income. And uh, that economic insecurity manifests as uh, protectionism, as trade protectionism. So I think that domestic politics is very much driving this protectionist push. Uh, but at the same time, um, I think interestingly, for example, China is trying to use the domestic politics of the United States to maintain free trade. So it's not coincidence that China is threatening tariffs on uh, agricultural products because those are the products uh, of the regions of the United States that supported Donald Trump. So I think there's this effort by China to get domestic politics in the United States to push back against tariffs. So it's a very interesting and interactive relationship. Um, thank you very much, David. This was an interesting conversation. I hope that our audience learned a little bit more about the trade situation with China and where this could potentially go. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I hope to come back soon. Thank you for listening to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. Listening is 100% of the grade, so we hope you enjoyed the episode. Next week, we'll interview Angela Landine, an instructor in the School of Health Sciences, about global health. Until next time, go Yotes.